Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Opportunistic. What a great word to have is the nothing personal word of the day. Opportunistic. Who was it? It was Bud Light. And not because you had two cases of him this weekend. It's because Marcus Peters, do you remember him? The guy who, with the Ravens, end of the game, great defensive play, basically goes into the stands with the Packer Lambo leap, which now everyone does. Then he gets a beer from someone in the stands, pours the beer in his mouth, then leaves. He gets fined $14,037 by the National Football League. Bud Light steps up and messages him on Twitter saying, hey, DM us and we're going to match your fine of $14,037 and we're going to donate it to a charity of your choice. Way to go, Bud Light. That's what opportunity is. For a Super Bowl ad, you got to pay $5.6 million for 30 seconds. Right, The cost of this whole play was like one-tenth of one second for a Super Bowl ad, and it got just as much attention. Bud Light, you're opportunistic, and I'll take one. You know, this. The, I, I got to say, I watched the video, the whole Spygate 2. Who didn't watch it? If you're living under a rock, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Spygate 2 is not just the movie starring Josh Gad. Spygate 2 is actually what's going on right now with the New England Patriots and the fact that somebody, a video crew, was filming the Bengals sideline. We covered it on Nothing Personal. We've covered it on CBS Sports HQ. Why is it back in the news? Well, we now have video. And the video is shocking. Let me set the stage for you. Picture a press box. A press box at a ballpark or a stadium are rows of tables, and you've got sports writers and social people on social media, and you're pretty high up, and you're watching the game, but you're also paying attention to the ice cream machine. You're paying attention to the spread, which is the food that you can eat, and you're really sort of writing your articles as the game happens. So when the game ends, you're ready to go. If there's a last-second change, you have to quickly change your article. There's tweets going on, so there's there's everyone's trying to get sort of the number one social media hit, trying to go viral. And somewhere in the press box was a bunch of videographers who were actually filming the sidelines of the Cincinnati Bengals. These videographers actually had credentials. They were New England Patriots employees. That's going to be an important point in a moment. And they were filming the sideline. Well, now we know exactly what did happen because a Bengals security guard actually went up to these people who were filming and said, you know, what are you doing exactly? And they were told, hey, it's part of a show we're doing. We're following an advanced scout and we're showing what does an advanced scout look at when an advanced scout is at a game? And the Bengals security guard said, but you're not showing the advanced scout. You're actually showing the sideline. And you're showing substitution patterns that the Bengals have. And you're showing coaches and signals. Why would you be doing that? And here's where it got funny to me. Why is it that the person in charge of this, shall we say, espionage, immediately on the video went to, oh, I can delete it right now. No one will ever know. I don't even have a computer. He doesn't have a computer? 
He's a videographer who's actually there doing a job and he doesn't have a computer. I find that shocking. But he said very quickly, I'll delete it. Then he said it again. I'll delete it. It'll be like it's gone. But of course, what the Bengal security officer said is, hey, the damage is done. Once it's gone, it's gone, he was told. The Bengals guy said, I'm getting the NFL security. And this became a huge situation. And then it became a battle of the statements. The New England Patriots, right after it happened, they released a statement, which we talked about, and I had a major problem with. And the reason is, when you do a statement, when you've got a scandal, the key in a scandal is don't do a statement until you're sure what you're going to say and you found the bottom of the scandal. Because you don't want to have to do a second statement and a third statement because you're going to get caught. So the Patriots released a statement and they said that we understand and acknowledge that our video crew, which included independent contractors who shot the video, unknowingly violated a league policy by filming the field and sideline from the press box. Well, the reason why that's their first statement is you never want to say that we knowingly did it because then you're punished and you know what your punishment's going to be. So one word that appears in every single statement when you're doing sort of a we didn't do it, it's called an unknowingly. Okay, so that word appears here. The word independent contractor, that means someone working on behalf of a team who's actually not an employee of the team. So my impression when I read that statement is, oh, they must have hired an outside film crew. And that outside film crew may actually not know the rules of the NFL. Boy, was I giving them a benefit of a doubt. Because any time I would ever hire an independent film crew, and I did, they were spoken to by a broadcasting department. They were spoken to it many times by me to make sure that everything was absolutely above board and kosher. Make sure they knew the rules, what we could show on video, what we were trying to capture, what the essence was of the shot that we were doing. So these independent contractors had no idea, apparently, they weren't allowed to film the sideline. Then how come their reaction live on that tape as it was happening was, hey, we'll just delete it. Have you ever heard the expression, a guilty conscience needs no accuser? Boy, it certainly sounds like they had guilty consciences. Because offering to delete something before you know, I have a better idea. You say to the Bengals security guard, listen, I'm going to call my supervisor because I know that we're doing the right thing. And I'm positive this is totally fine. And I'm happy to show you the footage we have. But this makes perfect sense to me. He didn't do that. He went right to, I'll delete. But then it got worse. Then he actually was forced to do a statement. I'm talking about the head guy who was on the video crew. His name is David, not me. And guess what his job title is? It's not independent contractor. He's a supervising producer for Kraft Sports and Entertainment. He was the one on site. Supervising producer for Kraft Sports and Entertainment. And I don't mean the mac and cheese. Robert Kraft is the owner of the New England Patriots. So this is a subsidiary owned by and operated by Robert Kraft and his people. So this man named David Mondillo, who'd been working for 18 years apparently for Kraft, knows exactly what he was doing, knew exactly what the rules of the road were, and recklessly disregarded those rules. But he was forced to do a complete statement, and his statement was funny. It was not written by him, it was crafted by PR people and by lawyers, because he's gonna have a problem 
There are rumors already that the Patriots are suspending people who were involved in this spygate. I wonder how you suspend your head coach or your owner. So he started a statement by doing what I would always tell someone to do when you're writing a statement. You name the date and you say that what you were doing is what you always do and you were doing it right the way you've always done it. On December 8th, I was doing what I have done for more than 18 years, working to produce high-quality content that tells the unique behind-the-scenes stories of people, players, and the organization. It never occurred to me that my actions and the actions of my crew would be misconstrued. No, we're not misconstruing them at all. You actually violated league policy by filming from the press box. And if you've been working for Kraft Sports and Entertainment for 18 years, are you going to tell me as a supervising producer, you don't know the rules of the press box? You don't know where your cameras can go? I think not, David. But yet, you didn't stop there. And David, between us and everyone watching on CBS Sports HQ and listening, I know you didn't write this. I know you were forced to write this by the Patriots in order to save your job, your job, a total CYA. I get it. My advice to you, I have two words, independent counsel. So you then continued. Before the shoot began, I obtained permission and received credentials and a parking pass for Sunday's game. Another rule of these statements, don't put in irrelevant information. I don't care that you got a parking pass. I don't care if you took public transportation. I know that you're just putting stuff in here, the lawyers are, because they want to deflect away from the reality of the situation. I know all the tricks. I've done them. You put as much stuff as you can into a statement that Coca, the producer, printed at a 12 font, expecting me for the first time on the air to actually use the glasses, which I'm not going to do, Coca. Then he went on. With permission in hand, we started taping. We followed the scout. He goes on and on explaining the story. He then explains what happened when he got confronted by the Bengals security guard. But then the last statement is where we end this story. The last part of what is now public. I had no intention to provide footage to football operations. I did not provide any footage and I was never asked to do so. So, normal people who write generally don't end sentences with so. That's totally legal. Like, totally. I did not provide any footage, and I was never asked to do so. So, normal people would just say that, but in legalese, you say so. So, here's how this ends. This ends with a fine. It ends with a firing. It may end with a suspension. It definitely ends with the loss of a draft pick. But worst of all, it continues the narrative that the Patriots cannot shed, that they go to the edge every time and then they look over and they say, I can take one more step. And then they realize there's no terra firma and they're going down like Coyote and Roadrunner over a cliff. And as soon as they stop winning championships, as soon as Tom Brady is no longer the top quarterback, which we know due to all pro voting, he's not even in the top three. That's Wilson. That's Mahomes. That's Lamar Jackson. Once the Patriots are back to being the full paper bags from my childhood, all of this stuff won't fly at all. You know, this just happened as we were starting. We're going live on CBS Sports HQ. Then we have the rest of the show that we're doing. How is it that the Cleveland Browns continue to surprise me? 
They really do. They came into this season, as you may recall, the season's quite old, but they came in as favorites in the AFC North. If you don't have your standings memorized, they're now in third place behind the Steelers, who are eight and six, and behind the Ravens. Yes, the Ravens with the MVP of the league, Lamar Jackson. The Ravens, the Super Bowl, probably favorites now. Yet, when the Browns signed Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield second year, Jarvis Landry on the team, this was a team that was supposed to not just compete but win the division. Now they're going to go a 10th season minimum of not even having a winning season for get playoffs. Now, is that a disaster? No. I've, I've been the president of a ton of teams who were supposed to be good and who weren't. That's like a Tuesday for me. What's different here is the internal conflict that's going on, and it doesn't end. Earlier today, we had Jarvis Landry going public saying, listen, I'm happy I'm a Brown. My fingers are crossed that I won't be a Brown for long. He was overheard, apparently, yelling to the Cardinals sideline, come get me. Can you imagine wanting to play for the Cardinals instead of the Browns? The Cardinals are not exactly the team to beat. It shows the dysfunction. And then Kareem Hunt came out two minutes before we went public, calling out his teammates, two minutes before we were on the air, calling out his teammates saying that type of effort that we put forth yesterday was inexcusable. We didn't start playing until halftime. And by then it was too late. Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt is your spokesman? The guy who was suspended for eight games for domestic battery and for beating up a woman on camera? Suspended, released, signed, sat out the eight games, and now he's back? He's the one who you want speaking about effort? Talking about doing it from kickoff? Kareem Hunt would know about doing things with a kick, wouldn't he? My view is the following. If you're Haslam, the owner, you have to do three things. One, you're going to fire Freddie Kitchens, a rookie head coach who loses your clubhouse or locker room as quickly as he has. You got to acknowledge you've made a mistake. It's a thing in the NFL to keep hiring these coaches, have them for one year and boot them. It happened with the Dolphins and Gase, I think. Then you get rid of Kitchens, too. You got to have Beckham gone. You got to have Landry gone. Those two guys are not going to help you win. You don't have to go after the name players every time. Some of the best players in the National Football League are ones that you've never heard of, that some owners have never heard of. Listen to your GM. Don't go for the superstar name thinking you're going to put them all together, have an all-star team, and all of a sudden win your division. Forget what the media says. I've been there where you sign a big-name player and the media is all excited. They're calling you a favorite, and you end up absolutely diving and tanking. Well, not tanking the way teams tank now. I'm talking about legitimately trying to win and then being bad. That, that's the old-school tanking. That's what I've done, never deliberately. So if you're Haslam this offseason, refresh. You've got Baker Mayfield. He's a quality quarterback. We need to do some PR training with him. A little, just a tad, but we can do that. Look and wait to see these moves that the Browns will make. And stop having Kareem Hunt as your spokesperson. We do a, uh, we do a segment all the time here on, uh, on uh, the show, Nothing Personal. I thank you very much for watching, for, down, for following me on Twitter at David P. Sampson. You know, you can subscribe and then put five stars on because that matters according to like seven people sitting 10 feet away from me. Tell me that these stars and these ratings matter. But I appreciate you watching on the queue. 
But we do a segment called So You Want to Talk to Samson. That's sort of from the, not sort of, it's from a movie called Half-Baked. And what it says is that if you want to find me, find me on Twitter, David P. Samson. Go into my DMs, which are completely open and public, and tell me what you want to talk about, and I'll go through it. Not everyone, because I'm getting a lot, but I'll choose ones that I think everyone wants to hear about. So I got one yesterday, and this was interesting. How do you deal with an aging superstar, and does Baumgartner signing with the Diamondbacks for $85 million over five, does that take the Giants off the hook? Well, that is my topic of today, so you want to talk to Samson, because you are spot on. The San Francisco Giants are doing the Snoopy dance. That's when your tail wags because you're so happy and you dance in a circle because they had to offer Baumgartner. They're basically future Hall of Fame pitcher who has three rings from 10, 12, and 14. That's 2010, 12, and 14. They had to find a way to let him go. What normally you do with an aging superstar is you have an owner who is so close to that player that you're unwilling to be reasonable and cut off ties before that player no longer becomes actually good enough to merit the pay that he's getting. Just take a look at the Dodgers and what they're paying Clayton Kershaw. We call it a pillow deal inside the industry, but outside the industry it's called a, oh, of course you have to sign him. He's your best player, your most famous player. You have to shy away from that. But then you've got to make an offer that is legitimate, but that you know is going to get turned down. And that's what the San Francisco Giants did. And I acknowledge and I appreciate and I approve it. And I also love the leak. So it's a two-part process with an aging superstar. Pretend that you want to retain him. Make an effort that you know will not be satisfactory given market conditions. Forcing that player to go. Then once the player goes, you go public leaking, not with your name attached, of course, with what you offered, which is a reasonable offer, and that's it. Then you stop. Then next season, when the Diamondbacks play the Giants, and if Baumgartner does pitch in San Francisco, video tribute, you give him the key to the city, maybe a framed picture with all the championship rings, you embrace him and you love him, and then you thank the owner of the Diamondbacks for overpaying him. Madison Baumgartner should not have gotten five years from anybody. The chances of him having five more years of 200-plus innings, that's a 1,000 more innings in that arm. That arm is hanging on by the tiniest of threads. Now, you could say that the injuries he's had were strange injuries that had nothing to do with his arm and with his elbow. And I would tell you that I know for a fact that arms have a limited amount of mileage in them. Think of it like a car engine. If you drive your car around the track a lot or if you drive fast, let's change that to brakes. It's even better. What do you do when you ride the brake? Why do you learn when you're driving not to ride your brake? Because it wears out faster from overuse. Baumgartner pitched a tremendous number of innings as the Giants were winning those three rings. And it is highly unlikely that he'll be able to continue. And why would the Diamondbacks sign him to start with? They could have signed Patrick Corbin to six years last year, retained him, and been better off because Corbin's a better player. But then they let Corbin go to Washington. Then on top of that, they trade Zach Greinke, which was a gift from heaven that they were able to find anyone to take Greinke and even take part of his money, which the Astros did last year at the deadline, like literally one minute to the deadline. But now you're back in the free agent market if you're the Diamondbacks? That sounds like you don't have a plan. It looks like you don't have a plan. And you know why I recognize what it is to operate a team without a plan? I did it. And I can tell you right now, it doesn't work. The best way to win multiple rings, we got one ring, 
But the best way to win two is to have a plan and actually stick to it. Because the roller coaster nature of trading players, signing players, trading players, signing players, it's not going to work. So as you go through, if you're the Diamondbacks thinking about what are you doing with your team, what I'm watching now is are they keeping Robbie Ray? Robbie Ray is a player who's on a one-year deal in arbitration, going to make about $10 million next year. Wouldn't it be interesting if now because they signed Baumgartner that they would then have to be forced to trade Robbie Ray in order to keep payroll in check? Or are they adding Baumgartner to Robbie Ray in an effort to keep the season going because they had such a surprising run to the wild card last year? I don't think they're doing that. But that's a true wait to see. So the moral of the story is when you've got an old superstar, you have to pretend that you want to retain him. Then you let him go or else you end up being like the Lakers with Kobe or you end up being like the Dodgers with Clayton. And that is not where the Giants are going to be at all. Another thing that happened, another trade which I thought was fascinating because people are losing their minds in the media, Corey Kluber was traded. Corey Kluber, remember him? I think he has two Cy Young Awards uh, in 2014 and 2017. He led the Indians rotation when they were winning. Oh, there I see it right on the screen. If you're you're listening, you don't see it. But on the screen right now, if you're watching, it says two-time Cy Young winner. Thank you, Coca. Corey Kluber, 2014 and 18. Are you sure it's not 14 and 17? But I think he's probably right. He did his homework. I did too, actually. Anyway, it's what? Coca's talking to me live. It is 17. You're wrong. Change that. He's changing it on the fly. It actually just changed if you're not watching. Now it says 14 and 17. So to make a long story a little shorter and far more interesting than me talking in my ear to Coca, Corey Kluber is not the pitcher he was. How do I know this? Because anyone who watched last season knows that he got hurt May in Florida. Remember, got hit in the forearm and broke his forearm and never came back? Is that why I'm saying he's not better? No. When he was actually pitching from spring training through April, he just looked like he had both lost velocity. He'd also lost a lot of the spin on his breaking stuff. Now, are we talking about juice balls and the fact that the seams, remember we talked on nothing personal, the seams were a little thinner, all of which could explain Kluber's lack of performance. However, he was due to make and will make $17.5 million this season. And there's no way Cleveland is going to pay that to a pitcher who they don't know for sure whether A, he can pitch, and B, whether he can be effective. So they had to remove all emotion because they're attached to him. There's no question about it. He's been there through a lot of great times, a lot of division titles. But you've got to let him go, much like what we talked about earlier in this show. He's sort of aging, too. I think he's 34 years old. Now, why would the Rangers volunteer to take on Corey Kluber and pay his $17.5 million plus a half million assignment bonus? I'm going to do a whole segment later on assignment bonuses. I can't stand them. You're basically the right you have to trade a player. You actually have to pay that player when you trade him. That's what an assignment bonus means because what a trade actually is – is you're assigning his contract to someone else. So picture that you work for CBS Sports HQ. And if you had a provision in your contract that you could be assigned, basically what it means is we could trade you to ESPN for a player to be named later or a dollar, and you'd have no say in the matter, and your contract with CBS would be assigned over to ESPN. Picture you work for a grocery store. Call it Publix or D'Agostino or Winn-Dixie. 
and you work and you're bagging groceries and you wake up one day and your contract has been assigned to Wawa. That's what a contract assignment is. Would you go to your employee and say, hey, I want a million bucks for that? You'd try and you'd fail. Yet these players get it. So the Texas Rangers and the Cleveland Indians agreed to split the assignment bonus. We would always agree to split the assignment bonus because if we're the team trading the player and we're shedding the money, we're more than happy to pay a half a million dollars not to have to pay $17 million. 17 and a half in this case. So Corey Kluber goes to a team that's building a new ballpark, which opens this season. Did you see the fire that broke out? This was all over Twitter. I couldn't believe it. When we built Marlins Park, we had a 36-month construction. And uh, this is for another segment. I'm, I'm going to go through the whole construction and how that all worked. I can only say that for 36 months, you don't sleep because you worry about everything. Primarily the safety of your construction workers, of which there are thousands Making sure you're on time and on budget, that's secondary, tertiary. But then you wonder about all the things that could happen like hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, and you lose your mind. Insomnia prevails. Well, there was a fire at the new Globe Life Field or Globe Life Park. They call the old one Globe Life Field and the new one Globe Life Park or the other way around. Maybe the old one's Globe Life Park and the new one's Globe Life Field. What it really means is the Globe Life naming rights is living from one building to the next, but they want a fresh start in marketing and promotion. So they change park to field and field to park and then back. So in any case, what happens is you're going into the new facility and you really need better pitching because the Texas Rangers did not make the playoffs and they really had Lance Lynn and Mike Miner as the two stalwarts of the rotation. Very serviceable guys. And they wanted to see if they could bring in top flight pitching talent. So they thought about and kicked the tires on Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. I'm sure they thought about Madison Baumgartner. And I'm sure they're going to try with Ryu as well, who's the next free agent to sign, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, they realized that they may not be able to get a deal done because the market has gone insane. So instead, what they decided to do was trade, and they didn't give up much. They're being criticized, the Indians are, for only getting back to Shields and Chase. But guess what? I would have done this trade for a bag of balls. Literally just a sack of used, juiced baseballs to get a team to take on Kluber's salary. Literally. So don't criticize the Indians. They did a great job. And once the Rangers volunteer to take the money, there's no way they're going to give good players and take the money. That's how trades work. It's a quick conversation between Chernoff and Antonetti of Cleveland, the GM and president, and John Daniels of Texas. Basically, hey, is Kluber available? I'm going to play both sides. Is Corey Kluber available? Uh, yeah, um, but you know we're going to want we're going to want top level prospects back. Well, what if we're willing to pay the money? Well, how much of the money? Well, if you're willing to take on all the money, then then what are we talking about? Well, wait, if you're willing to take on his whole contract, oh, we'll just put in some guys. It doesn't matter. Okay. And that's how a deal comes together. It's all money. Delano DeShields Jr., he's really not a name. He's fine. He's serviceable. What I didn't like about this trade is I didn't like what Cleveland was forced to do by saying that Chase and DeShields are players who are going to help our team in 2020. Just come out and say it. Come out and say, we were able to shed $17.5 million. We got back two guys with a pulse. One guy who has a chance, Chase, to be decent. DeShields can field. He cannot hit. Basically, he hits like me, right? Cannot hit. 
Will he grow to hit? Probably not. But your glove will stay. But just be honest with your fans. You've given them a great window of winning in Cleveland. You didn't get a World Series, but it was an outstanding run. A great window that's now closing. Say it. Acknowledge it. Admit it. You'll feel better. And if you're Texas, you stand up and say, listen, we're not done. While we brought in Lyles, Gibson, Kluber, matching them with Lynn and Minor, and we had our own media people saying we now have one of the best rotations in baseball. What? It's not close to one of the best rotations in baseball. It's not even a playoff rotation. You go in and you say, listen, we like where we're at, but we're ready to do more. We will do more. They need to do more. You know who's not doing more? Ever. The Raiders in Oakland. Done. For the second time. Some of the older audience, if you're listening and you're my age, you remember when Oakland Raiders, Al Davis, took them out of Oakland the first time and moved to L.A., didn't like L.A. enough. They wouldn't get a big enough a stadium built for him. So he moved back to Oakland. They've been in Oakland playing. It used to be called the Alameda Coliseum. I don't know what it's called right now. That's not an impactful naming rights deal. They had their last game, and it was a 20-16 to loss. Now, what's the big deal? The Raiders are a bad team. They've been a bad team. Gruden, they, they're paying him a lot of money, and Gruden's despondent beyond repair, and he should be. But what struck me is what happened after the game. And what happened after the game is the players got booed off the field. The players got booed. Derek Carr got booed. And then it got worse. They started throwing things on the field. They started getting violent. And then they started getting arrested. Let me explain what happens when a team leaves. Do you know who has nothing to do with whether your team leaves your community? And I mean literally nothing. The players. We don't ever consult them. We don't care what they think. The players will play exactly where we tell them to play, whether it's Philip Rivers, a superstar, or whether it's Derek Carr, a quarterback, or anyone else. I don't care if you want to stay in Oakland or San Diego. I don't care if you don't want to move to Vegas or L.A. I don't care about any of it because you have no say. So why are the fans booing the players? They should be reserving their boos for ownership, the Davis family. But why are you booing the Davis family? Do you know how Oakland could have stayed in Oakland and been the Oakland Raiders? All they needed was a new stadium. All you had to do was elect politicians and put them into office who were in favor of public financing. The Davis family would have absolutely put money in. There's a whole NFL big fund for new stadiums. They would have stayed. The price has to be right. You've got to win the double showcase, which means you've got to get the bid within $100, and then you get both sides of the showcase showdown. Come on, Bob Barker, Drew Carey, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what all those fans could have done and been helpful to do to keep a team. Anytime a team relocates, they are relocating because the owners can make more money elsewhere. And the reason the owners can make more money elsewhere is that A stadium will be built for them in a larger percentage of public financing. There's a better TV market and a better opportunity for sponsorship and gate revenue. The Oakland-San Francisco area is an outstanding area for a team. Outstanding. It's very disappointing what the fans did. I don't support it at all. You don't throw stuff. You want to boo players for lack of performance, boo them for that. You don't boo them because they're moving. You don't throw stuff on the field. I couldn't even tell who was the security. If you get a chance to watch the video, 
who's security, who's not security. They all look like they're fans of the Raiders. And I am, uh, for one, I'm not sad at all. They're gone. <laughs> I, I, got, I printed a letter. I'm, sure, I'm holding a letter right now. I love coming into the studio at CBS. And I love sort of thinking about what's next, what's happening, who can I talk about. And Bernie Sanders, I, I love you, Bernie. You've been great to me because I, you're off your rocker, literally off your rocker. You're so confused about the minor league baseball situation, and you keep writing letters to Commissioner Rob Manford. And every letter you write is worse than the last. So on December 14th, on some random Saturday, you were in the mood to write another letter because there was a negotiation going on between minor league baseball and major league baseball. The story is very clear. Major League Baseball wants better facilities for its minor league players. They want better travel. They want better pay. They want better working conditions. Minor League Baseball has a bunch of places where minor league affiliates are that are not good facilities where the travel is horrendous and it's not good for the development of players to become major leaguers. Major League Baseball has all the power as they negotiate a new agreement. And what they're negotiating right now is an agreement with the minor league baseball that will change the way minor league baseball and major league baseball relate to each other. And why can major league baseball do it? Because we've got the product and we're paying for your product. Can you imagine minor league baseball thinking that they have the upper hand when they actually don't have anything that we need? When I ran the Marlins, I didn't really need those minor league owners and have to talk to them during the winter meetings and have to spend time having coffee and begging to be their affiliates. I had to beg to be an affiliate in the minor leagues because, because of the antitrust exemption, the very thing that Bernie Sanders wants to get rid of. You want to get rid of antitrust as it relates to the minor league baseball? Guess what that'll result in? I can affiliate with anybody, anywhere. And guess what? It won't be many of the minor league teams, Bernie, and it certainly won't be your city of Burlington. But you know who moves minor league teams way more than anybody? Minor league owners. Why do minor league owners move teams, Bernie? Here's why. They want to make more money and not share it with you. So before you sit and write letters and use big words and accuse Major League Baseball, why am I backing up Major League Baseball? I don't work for them. I could just as easily have given you the other side of the story, criticizing Major League Baseball and criticizing Rob Manford for being frustrated in public. But in this case, he's 100% right. And you know, if you listen to nothing personal, I have no problem calling out Rob, who's a friend. No problem calling him out if he does something that I don't agree with. But in this instance, he's doing everything perfectly. He's been accused. You threatened to walk away from the entire minor league system. And that's the exact opposite of negotiating in good faith. Bernie, do you know why you've never been president? Because forget the fact that your whole concept of how to be president is unrealistic and can't happen. The reality is, and I'm not saying I'm a Republican or a Democrat at all. This isn't political. Everyone relax. Take your finger off the button, CBS. I'm not there. I'm not doing it. What I do know is that if you're going to get involved in something that involves sports and business and politics, at least know what you're talking about. When you are negotiating with someone like minor league baseball or anybody, 
without threatening to walk away, you're not going to get anything you want. Have you ever tried to buy a car, Bernie? Have you ever negotiated with the dealer? Why would you negotiate with the dealer? Oh, because you're trying to pay less money for the car. And you know they mark it up. And you know that the price is, high, is lower than what they're claiming it is. Oh, and you don't walk out of the dealership sometimes and wait for the call from the dealer saying, ah, come on back. We can drop it another thou. How about when you're in a marketplace buying something? You don't walk away and then get chased after for the $2 trinket? We've done it. You've done it, Bernie. Walking away is exactly how you negotiate. You have to be willing to walk away. I know this because there were plenty of players in my time who I knew I couldn't walk away from, and I got screwed every time. More money, more years. I assure you this will not happen to MLB. I work with a guy who's an anchor named Jeremy St. Louis. I don't know if it's St. Louis or St. Louis, or I'm not really sure, but I call him Jeremy. He's great. And he knows that I was looking for a show to watch, and uh, he told me to watch something called Catastrophe. And I'd never heard of it, and I went on, and I saw what it was, and I saw that uh, Rob Delaney, who I recognized from Deadpool, Dose, and I never, I didn't recognize at all Sharon Horgan, and I had no idea what it was about. In the first two seconds of the first season of Catastrophe, here's what happens. Rob Delaney, whose name in the show is Rob, makes it easy to remember, He's in London on a business trip, and he sees Sharon. That's her character and her actual name. They meet in a bar. They have sex, and then he goes back to America. And then she calls and says, you're going to be a dad. He then comes back to London, and for the next four seasons, you watch their relationship develop from meeting at a bar for a random one-night stand and how that became a life together with their child, Frankie, as sort of the glue of that life except it's not. Over the course of these four seasons, what you see in this relationship is real, and it's painful, and it can be hard to watch and incredibly funny all at the same time. You're looking at them saying, I've had that fight. I've had that thought. I have that friend. The character actors in Catastrophe each season get better. The performances get better. And then the payoff at the end of the fourth season, the finale of this series, is a shot, it's a wide shot that you will never forget. And then you will think back to all of the years and you'll watch it quickly. It's six episodes, they're about 29 minutes, 25 minutes each per season. So you're investing here 24 episodes, call it 30 minutes each, you're only talking about 12 hours. You can get that done in a day, maybe two days. If you're working a double, it may take you three days. But the bottom line is, this is a full 12 hours that you have to spend. And the reason that I want you to watch it is only that you will get an idea of the talent of Delaney and Sharon. They write it, they produce it, they edit it, they cast it, and they star in it. It's hard enough to be an actor. It's hard enough to be a writer. When you find people who can do both and then edit their own show, and the editing is perfect, it's smart, it's quick, the quips are good, the writing is great, it takes place overseas in London, she's Irish, he's American, be smart, catastrophe, because life sometimes is a catastrophe. And then let me know on David P. Sampson when you watch the fourth season finale, the episode that really the series finale, tell me what you think of the final shot. Pick of the day. You know, 
I'm not happy because I want to win every single pick of the day. And uh, Friday night, did you watch the Lakers heat game? I had the Lakers. So the way I do the pick of the day is I do the line that I think the game should be. Why can't I be an odds maker? I had the Lakers minus three over the heat. That was my line. And I actually sent my pick to Coco, which is what I do. I sent him the show before the show, and he looks at it and then says what he likes and what he doesn't like, and then we do whatever we want anyway. And the pick was Lakers minus three. For whatever reason, right before we start the show, Friday, he says, by the way, it's Lakers minus six. What choice did I have? He had done the graphics already. My pick of the day was already the Lakers. So I stuck with it, and we lost, and it should have been a push. So do I count that as a loss? I think I have to, and I'm bothered by it. My pick of the day is a good one. I I don't see the Saints beating the Colts by nine. We're all going to watch Monday Night Football. How could you not, right? I think I want the points. I want to be up by nine points before we start. The Colts have been playing horrifically. Maybe they're finally feeling the impact of losing luck at the beginning of the season to retirement. Maybe the Saints are a better team, which they are. I just don't think they're a better team by nine. I think we're doing it. Taking the Colts, plus nine. Book it. Okay, my wait to see update. Wait to see another part of the show that I hope you guys are enjoying. You are because I get texts that say wait to see. And more and more coaches and players are using it during press conferences. They'll say something. They'll say, well, I guess we're just going to have to wait to see. Sometimes they butcher it and they say wait and see. But this is a wait to see. Remember last week we talked about the Heisman. Joe Burrow would actually set a record that he would win by the largest margin of victory. He did. That he would get the highest percentage. He did. We waited, we knew, and we saw. Why did those other guys even go to New York? What a waste. But then on Friday, we had to wait to see that LeBron would try to score in Miami, and he'd outscore AD Antonio, and um, Anthony Davis. Ugh! Anthony Davis. If I call him Antonio one more time, I'm cutting my mic. But LeBron, this year, he's just passing so much better. It's like he takes pride in the fact that he gets all these assists. And he seems to drive and actually dish more than he ever did. I'm wondering whether his body's just more tired, whether he doesn't want to initiate the contact the way he did when he was younger. And now he's changed his game. And he has, and it worked. I thought it wouldn't for a day. AD outscored him. We lost that wait to see. My wait to see today is about Dion Waiters. Deion Waiters is a train wreck. We've had fun talking about him. He's the guy who took the entire bag of edibles on the, on the plane, team plane, and then passed out in a pool of his own vomit. Remember him? Yeah. And he claimed that he was fine, but then he was suspended again. He was suspended when the season started. I think he's had three suspensions. Well, the Heat just suspended him again, and now we know why. He apparently called in sick, and he pulled a Levon, Le'Veon Bell. He called in sick and then went out. And he found, he basically posted, or it was posted a picture of him on a boat. And he didn't look that sick. I think the Heat have had just about enough. Deion Waiters is done with the Miami Heat. He will never play another minute with that team again. But if you're the Heat, what do you do? Everyone's having this great debate. And I've had this happen to me, where there's a player you just don't want to see anymore. You are ready to absolutely make sure that you, that player's done forever. In baseball, the money's guaranteed. What are you going to do? We try to trade him. We take him off the roster. It's called designate for assignment. What that means is he's off your roster. You never have to look in his face again, but you got to keep paying him every two weeks if no one claims him. And if the player's overpaid, no one's going to claim him. Or you can try to trade him, but in the NBA, there's so many salary cap issues, trade money for money, fitting in waiters under the cap. 
Who's going to want Dion Waiters? He's making $12 million this year and next year in that ill-fated four-year deal that Pat Riley wants to forget about. The Heat are one of the top teams in the East and one of their two, if you really want to say this, two of their main players who they signed, which is Hassan Whiteside, who is Hassan Whiteside, and Dion Waiters, really aren't doing anything for the Heat. Whiteside's on the Blazers, actually. So if you're the Miami Heat and you don't want Waiters anymore, You just have to eat it. And sometimes that happens. Now, I recognize that's hard to do. And I recognize it's against your cap. And I recognize you don't want to pay guaranteed money to a man who is actually shoving it in your face how disrespectful he feels about you and Miami and the community and Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley and Mickey Arison. Mickey Arison's the owner. Pat Riley's the president. Eric Spolstra is the longtime coach. You've got to put your foot down and show an example to these players, not just on the Heat, but around the league, that you're not going to tolerate this. If it means you have to write a check, Mickey Arison, you write the check. You don't need your salary cap gurus to try to figure out the best way to have the most minimum hit on your cap, because you know very well that you have a declining asset. He's declining to zero. He's not worth a penny. Acknowledge your mistake, tip your cap, and then move along. And the way I do it is I call Deion Waiters into the office. I make him come in super early on a game day. And you know what I say to him? I look him right in the eye. I say, Dion, this is just business. It's nothing personal. <laughs>